0: today and throughout our life and that Lord when something comes from without we can rush back to the foundation that no other man can lay other than Jesus Christ and we can stand on that foundation knowing that Lord your word is true. And therefore, it keeps us, O God, from being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, with every little teaching. Your word holds us steadfast upon that, O God, that has been delivered to us through Jesus Christ and his apostles. May you minister to us this morning. And may this be a time, O God, of celebration of your people. For the world needs to see us celebrating the one in whom we love. They need to see us celebrate Jesus Christ and not all this other stuff. We confuse the world sometimes by the way that we act. But oh God, may your people's focus be upon Jesus Christ and him alone. Deepen our understanding of why you came in the flesh and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Why this human form? Oh, boy. Sometimes we can have trouble with it, Uh, recognizing that Christ took on of fleshly means. Yes? The kids are what? They're in the back. I want to take the children Well, okay, you got something special for them, so take them. And it takes place in a time. That is not of our choosing per se. Now, Kelly ain't no, she ain't no child. She, you, Kelly can come on. Hey, oh, she's a helper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. And it takes place in his time. Not our time. And it's amazing how God does this. And from Genesis 3.15, he promised that his son would come. But why not come right after pulling Israel out of Egypt? That was a great power. Why not allow Jesus to come in? Why not allow Jesus to come at the after the Assyrian power or the Babylonian power or the Persian power or even the Romans because the Romans had lasted some time when Christ comes. God allowed man the opportunity to redeem himself. And every great nation or power on earth could not do it. All these powerful nations and leadership only prove scripture to be right. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God with all their wisdom, all their knowledge, all their power, the one thing man could not do was redeem himself. Redeem himself. Also, as the word says, there is no one that was righteous. No, not one. And there was not one that could do good. Not even one. Down through all that time, there was not one man who could be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one. God's purpose of sending Jesus to us is to restore a relationship. And that's what we need to understand. God is out to restore a relationship with man That he had with Adam. That's why we went the first sermon. The first Adam, the second Adam. Because the first Adam what? Fell. The second Adam, boy. He achieved everything the father expected of him. God's purpose is to restore us to restore his creation, to restore us in that fellowship that he so much desires with us. And man was given the opportunity to redeem himself from the time of the fall all the way up through those great nations. Because God is long-suffering. God is patient. And God, when you stand before him, will be able to say, This one tried it, that one tried it, this one did it, this one couldn't do it. He shows us throughout history the failure of even mighty nations and people that they could not redeem themselves. The great powers of the earth could not meet the standards of God. It is what Scripture says. We've all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. No, there's not one that is righteous. No, not one. When the time had come, in the fullness of His time, God acts. And that's important for us to understand. In God's submissive will, He gives us the latitude to do this and do that and just do. But in God's perfect will, this is all you're going to do. In His submissive will, He allows us to function, and we make our mistakes. and He teaches us in that process. But there always come a time with God. When the cup is full, he acts. He acts. He performs. You know that little saying when you were young you used to laugh at because the old folks used to say it he's always on time because God allows us to perform but then somehow he steps into our life into our situation at his time not at our baking call but at his time he steps in and he acts He performs. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be in this one verse and we're going to try to build on this whole verse point by point. In Galatians 4 and verse 4. He says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the time had fully come, God has always worked in his time. In his time. And again, boy, I love it when it says, God is never in a hurry, God's never in a rush. God knows exactly what he's going to do. And he's going to do it. But he's not in a hurry. And man is always in what? Man's always in a rush. Man's always in a hurry. And God allows us to work in that humanity in which he have created us in a sense. But yet it's not always in his perfect will. But it is in his submissive will in which we function. And God is not in a hurry. But when he is ready to act and not at the time which we desire him to perform, he works. He works. The fullness of time is when it's filled up. When it hits a, a point of completion. When it's Time is like harvest time. If you pick a peach too soon, it doesn't taste good. If you pick a peach too late, it doesn't taste good. But if you pick the peach or you pick the apple or you pick the grape in its harvest time, even with the farmer, if you pick at the right time, you get the best. You get the best. Why? It's the right time to harvest or to pick it. And he says in the fullness of time it's time for him to act. Go with me to Ephesians. Look at chapter 1, 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 want you to look what he says. We're going to be moving a little rapidly today also, okay? And he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure, not ours, but whose, his, in his time, he's going to function, which he purposed in Christ, for what reason? To be put into effect When the times, I want you to see times, it's in the plural, not in the singular. Because it's just like building a house. It's just like building something. You have to lay what first? The foundation. Then you start from the foundation, you start building up on it. It's one thing at a time which you are building. One thing at a time you have to work with. And God's working with one thing at a time. If God was to work with everything in your life all at one time, you wouldn't be able to stand the trauma. But he works with us. And he says, times, because God is doing a magnificent work, but it's being done one layer at a time, one layer at a time at a time. One layer at a time. And he uses the plural there. Put in effect when the times and you catch Corinthian with the rapture or so or, or even with death. He puts it in order. He said each one in his own what? Order. God is never out of order. He does everything in order. Even in death. We all have an appointed What? time to die. <laughs> and he says, put into effect when the times will have reached their what? Fulfillment in each thing. You can't lay a house a half foundation and think you're going to build on the other half without going with the full perimeter of the foundation. There has to be one thing laid at a time. And guess what? You can't begin to put the roof on Until you put the sidewalls up. And you, you do sidewall what? One at a time. One at a time. And he says, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. But he's doing this in times. In a Men of time, he's doing this now in Titus 1 3. He comes back, he says, And at his appointed season, again, it's a time not before, not after, but in its appointed time when God has ordained it, then it will function. And at his appointed season, he bought his word. light through the preaching entrusted to me by the commands of God our Savior that the word really begins to come to light it really becomes to a place of understanding in God's season, in God's time he begins to do it and then he moves on and he says Timothy, who gave himself a ransom for all men the testimony given in his what? Now, now understand the word here again Proper time. In this, thing. not beforehand, not right after the fall, not after the time of Egypt, not after the time of the Assyrians, not after the time of Babylon, not after the time of this or that, but in this proper what? Proper time. God's going to do something. In his proper time, He's going to function. Go with me to Acts. There's something here I want you to really bear out and take a good look at with me. In Acts 7, starting at verse 23, because what you want to do is see God. And you want to see man. But you want to see God. He says, in that verse 23, he says, when Moses was 40 years old, man, full grown, ain't he? Forty years old. Now, listen to how Scripture. Sometimes it's good to hear how the Holy Spirit just speaks to us. He says, "He decided. He decided. He decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by the Egyptians." So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. It's so important to catch what comes next. Moses thought that his own people would realize, Moses thought. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. But they did not. He thought, if I do this, the people would think this. Forty years old. Forty years old. And he acted and he did something. Now drop down with me into verse 30. After 40 years. Not then. But 40 years later. Not then. Moses has his thought. Moses thought if he did this. And I've been there. There's times I thought. Boy, this is what I need to do. And God lets me get way into it, and I realize, nope, that's not what it is. And He changes it on me. Man. He says, after forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the frame, in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this. He was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Like God didn't see it when he was... 40 years old. But at 40 years old, God did not speak to Moses in a sense like he's speaking to him what? Now. Moses said, if I do this, the people may think this. But it's 40 years later that God speaks to Moses. Now is time to redeem my people. Now is the time in which I'm going to do. Now's the time that I'm going to act and perform. And he says, Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will what? Sin. Hold on to that word sin. Because when God takes action. He's always sending. He's always pointing it out. He's already prepared it. But he points it out. And he sends the one. Now, I'm going to share something with you. There's nothing wrong with going because we are told to go and be his witnesses. But do you understand There is a huge difference when God sets the appointment and sends you to the person. If I hadn't learned anything else, every time I go in the hospital, it's not really about me. God just puts me in the place. But he's sending me to somebody. He's sending me to somebody. To witness to and to share the love of Christ with and he says there I will send you back to Egypt but well, well Lord we could have done this thing 40 years ago you wait until I get a wife? You wait until I get some children. You wait until I'm settled down and I'm happy. You wait until I'm comfortable in what I'm doing. Look, Lord, I got some wealth here. I got some sheep here. I got a home here. I got a family here. And now you're talking about going back to Egypt? God's timing. God's timing. God's timing. And what's going to take place? And he says, in the fullness of time, he did what? He sent his son. In the fullness of time, he sent Moses as a deliverer for Israel. For whatever purpose he was holding Israel in Egypt, for those four hundred years, and whatever they were to learn, and whatever they were grow into, or whatever they were going to be developed into, God kept them there until it was their time to come out. And He says, "In the fullness of time, He sent His Son." I was watching the movie this Christmas. How many of you have seen this Christmas? Yeah, I was watching that. In the movie, the deacon of the church, there's a deacon, is living with this godly woman in an unscriptural manner. In the movie, you have one daughter and and her husband's having an adulterous affair with somebody else. The other sister is having her own affair and one night stand and so forth and going on. And then, boy, the youngest man, he's in this interracial marriage, but he hasn't told his family yet, so he's stuck and, and he's in trouble. And the other, the youngest one is scared to talk to mom and tell him what his real dreams are. Everybody in that movie is messed up and dysfunctional. And I was criticizing the movie. I said, this ain't got nothing to do with the Lord. This ain't got nothing to do with... And then God spoke to me real quick. He said, that's the mess I stepped down into. That's the mess. That's the cispool of our sin that God sent His Son in to rescue us. It also shows his pre-existence and that he was sent. He was, he existed that the Father could do what? Just send him. Didn't have to wait until he make him up, develop him or whatever. He pre-existed and he was sent. It also shows, that it reveals the intimacy and the confidence the sender has in the one being sent. That God was fully confident in His Son to go do this. And guess what? He would follow His exact will. For Jesus said, I come not to do whose will? My own, but to do what? The will of my Father. He was confident that His Son would be totally obedient. Understand this. If you can find one sin in Jesus Christ, then you can remove him from being the son of God or being God. For the scripture says he sinned not. He sinned not. And if we can find one sin, which a lot of people, even to the point, if you watch the historical channel, you will see that, boy, sometimes there's this here story where Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had children. And out of that whole story and that history and that, that they're writing, one of his great 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 grandchildren are supposed to be over in Britain now, which will be, in a sense, the coming Messiah at some point. How ridiculous. But you have people who believe that. Now he says in John seventeen eighteen, as you sent me, oh boy, that's so good. Guess what Jesus is doing? Exactly what the Father did. As you sent me, so I am doing what? Sending you. And it has not stopped. He's following the example of his father. What his father did with him, he's doing also with his disciples. He's sending. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them where? Into the world. The purpose of his coming. Romans eight three, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened in the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. D, D, send your son up here. Come on up here, huh? Run on over. Come on. Hurry up. You're taking my time up. <laughs> How you doing? Good. We favor, don't we? <laughs> hey, hey. I used to have one of those. <laughs> hey. But we favor. You know, he got a right hand. Got a left one? Yeah. You washed your mirrors? Uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He got those, don't he? Our shoes are a little different. Yeah. But at least you got two feet, don't you? Do you see the similarity between us? But there's something also different about us. You can see the similarity. What sometimes we don't see is what is the difference. Okay, you can go sit down now. Thanks. And look what the scripture says. Boy, the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by what? The sinful nature. But then it goes on. God did by sending his own son in likeness of sinful man, in likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the sinful man. But what didn't Christ have? He came as our likeness, but he did not have the sinful nature. On the outer part, yes, he looks like us. On the outer part, yes. Boy, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. Yes, looking like a man. But what we couldn't see is that he didn't have a sinful nature. Now, what did he come for? His purpose? One, Galatians 3.13, he came to take the curse from us and he became a curse for us. He came to taste death for us. That the pains of death would not be something we would have to suffer through. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Satan, where is your victory? See, the whole thing where Satan has victory is that when we die without Christ, Satan's won that battle in a sense. But boy, Christ came to remove that. That Satan would have no power over us in death. And he says, taste... In Hebrews 2.9, he takes the death for us. And then he comes to destroy the one who holds death. Satan, the enemy. He comes to destroy him. And he comes to be our high priest. And make an atonement on our behalf. He has a purpose in putting on this body. And to demonstrate life for us. And to become... All that God has said here. He could not have hung on a cross for us and take our place unless he personally would come. He could not taste death for us if he was just a myth or a spirit. He could not be my high priest if he did not put on human form. Now, He is born of a woman is the next step that we come to. Why? Why didn't God just pop him down here as an adult? Why didn't God just make him come into this world and start his ministry the moment he got here? Why wait for 30 years before he starts his ministry? Why wait for 30 years? Let's get this thing over with. How many of you want to get somewhere, get it over with, and be done with it? But he doesn't start his ministry until after 30 years of being here with us. He experienced the pain, the suffering, the rejection. He experienced life in a manner in which we experienced life. For 30 years. Now. He's born of a woman. Romans 1.3. Regarding his son. Who as to his human nature. Was a descendant of David. He had to put on that flesh. He comes through Mary. And in Luke you find. The lineage. Of Mary. In Matthew you find the lineage. Of Joseph. And. Boy. He comes because why? He's going to sit on the throne of who? Of David. Because God promised David that one of his heirs would always sit where? On the throne. So he comes to the line of Mary. Now, when you look at that whole, come on here, in Luke One, Let's go to it. I want you to look at 26 with me. I want you to read it with me real quick. Because here's Mary receiving what the Lord is going to share with her. But then how do you wrap that around in your head? How do you get this to a place where you understand it? If God came to you and said, you're going to be a millionaire and I'm going to move you out to so-and-so place and you're going to have this and you're going to have this and this is going to take place. Most of us would say, that's just somebody just talking foolishness. Because most of us look at our past experience and what's happening to us presently. Because one thing we cannot do to see our future. But there is one who is able to see future. He's able to know what's going to take place. And I imagine Mary pondered, how is any of this going to take place? It's not just about boy, and it's all based on the very fact that she would bear a child, but all these things that this angel is saying that's going to happen, I imagine Mary saying, how's this going to happen? I'm somebody who just lives in the ghetto. How am I going to get out of this mess and onto a throne? How am I going to get out of this mess? I ain't got no wealth. I don't have no money. How am I going to move? But look at all the things that God is going to say to Mary. He says in that verse 26, In the sixth month God sent the angel Gabriel, and catch that word sin again, because God is always what? He's doing the sending. He's doing it. To Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greeting you who are highly favored. Now that's where sometimes we get in trouble with some other denominations sometimes because in the Protestant work sometimes we're scared to talk about Mary because we think we will exalt her too much. Mary is somebody that is exalted in different groups. She is not someone to be worshipped, not someone to be prayed to. Mary was a sinner herself who needed salvation. And he comes to a point, he says, Mary, you are highly favored. The whole thing about highly favored is simply this. It's what God has decided. It's not like we think of the word favor. I favor you over her, or I favor him over him. No, it's what God has decided It's not that God put one up higher than the other or respect one more than the other or love one more than the other. It's a decision that God has made. And because God made the decision, you are blessed or you are highly favored. You are the one who is given this special honor or task or work. You are the one that God's decided to use in this. And he says, You're highly favored. And he and he goes on a little bit further. He says Mary in verse twenty nine, pick up there with me. Mary was greatly troubled. Wouldn't you be troubled? When you're hearing something that you can't really wrap your head around, doesn't it trouble you? That's why in the Christian life, we call it walking by faith. Because, see, if we walked by our understanding, we wouldn't accomplish very much. And therefore Scripture tells us, don't lean on our own understanding, but in all thy ways do what? Acknowledge Him. Why? When you acknowledge Him, you're going to walk by faith. You're going to walk by His promise. You don't know how they're going to work. You don't know how they're going to come out. But you know what you're doing? Because you believe in Him, you're just going to walk by faith. And that He's going to perform it. He's going to do it. And and he goes, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. How is that going to be? Then he goes on, he says, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Oh, no. In my family by the name of Jesus? Why am I naming him Jesus? You know, then he goes on to look for he, he will be great. He great. Well, who in our family right now is great? Who has a title in my family? And if you talk about David, that's over a thousand or more years ago. David's been forgotten in our family. How many of your relatives or great 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 grandparents you remember? How many great, great people have there been in your family line? And he says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He's going to be called what? Can't even put my mind around that. He's going to become called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father. He going to give him what? Herod sits on that throne. Herod would kill anybody who's trying to get on that throne. If Herod will kill, if Herod the Great would kill his father, his uncles, his brothers, his sister, and Herod comes along, he kills his father in old age. And so to be able to sit on the throne, I mean, that whole family had a deep mental problem. And was not scared to kill in order to hold on to what they thought was power. And here Mary's being told, "Hey, your son is going to sit on the throne." And, and he goes on a little further. He says, "The Lord will give him the throne of the Father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What? He's going to rule a kingdom." He's going to reign over Jacob, which would be Israel. He's going to do that. Mary couldn't even begin to grasp that. And look what she says in then 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I know no man or I am a virgin? Because everything here is based on what? Giving birth to a child. Mary, in the very next verse, you hear something that sometimes we don't give much credence to. It says, Mary hurried. Mary hurried. And there's a reason for that. That Mary hurried, and it says in 39, at the time Mary got ready and hurried to the town of the hill country of Judea. where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I'm hearing all this. All these promises, all what's going to happen. Yes, I say, Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. But I still don't quite understand it. I'm not grasping it. What confirms it? What allows it For me to know this is a possibility. What allows me to know this can really happen. When you're praying and asking God for something. Look for the little signs that says this can happen. Look at the people that sometimes God will put around you. And open your ears and really hear them that will help you define that faith to believe it can happen. Mm. Now, I'm not talking about positive e- energy and negative energy. I'm not talking about that mess. I'm talking about people who know God and who can speak into your life and help you to believe Beyond your ability to believe. Remember what the centurion said to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief. There's nothing wrong with saying to God, God, I'm troubled here. I don't know, Lord. And watch how God confirms it. Watch how God works Watch how God does it and gives you the confidence to trust in him. And Mary said, well, I don't know. But let it happen to me, but I'm not quite sure. And, and the whole process is that in that thing, boy, Mary quickly went off to see Elizabeth. Why? Elizabeth is her cousin. And there's a history about Elizabeth. She was known as the barren one. She was known for all the years that her and Zacharias had been married not to have children. That's an historical fact for Mary. And not only that, knowing that she was past the child-bearing children. Time. And see, I can attach to Zechariah, I'm past the childbearing time. And the process is this. She comes up pregnant and bears a child. And it helps Mary to understand what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. It confirms that, boy, everything the angel said to me is possible. It's possible. That my son might sit on the throne. My son might rule a kingdom. That my son would be this. My son would be great. My son would be the son of the most high. All that now becomes feasible and possible and can truly believe it because of what is confirmed in Elizabeth. Now, listen about Elizabeth because it's more than Elizabeth speaking because the scripture says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, understand the Holy Spirit had not yet come to rest in the life of all believers until Acts chapter 2. That did not stop the Holy Spirit from entering into the lives of people and speaking through them or giving them utterance or like Samson giving them unusual power that he comes and he says at that point Mary is there with Elizabeth and it speaks about the Holy Spirit being there. But look at verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed. I think God is saying to Mary, believe. He's saying it through Elizabeth. Believe. And what's so good about it is what follows next. He says, Blessed is she who has believed. That what the Lord has said to her. Will be what? Will be accomplished. Not that some of the things. Will be accomplished. Not that just one or two of the things. Will be accomplished. But all that has been stated. Will be what? Will be accomplished. Every bit of it. For let God be true. And every man want a liar. And. With child. He will be great, the Son of the Most High. He will have the throne of David. His kingdom will have no end. How will this be? And it's all based on the birth. And Mary said, I don't know a man. I don't know how this can take place. He was born of a woman that he might have this human nature, this human form, but without sin nature. He is born under the law. I'm the one who wrote the law. Why should I be born under the law? I'm the one who created the law. Why do I have to fulfill the law? And remember this, God himself, the psalmist said, he holds fast to his word. His word governs him. He cannot break his word. He cannot break his promises. His word governs him. He is born under the law. When you look at Luke 2 and verse 21, you see something taking place. He says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angels had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of his purification, according to the what? The law of Moses. But again, I want you to always looking at this thing called time. Time. When time takes place, this takes place. When time, then this takes place. Why would he need to be circumcised? He's a child born under the law. And the law says in the Jewish household. By a certain time you will be what? Circumcised. These things will happen at a certain time. And he goes on with it. In 24 he said, And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in what? The law. So his parents in his life is doing what? Carrying out the law. Carrying out the law. Are you carrying out God's word today? Are you raising your child in the nurture and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you really doing that? Are you saying what Joshua said? For me and my house, we're going to what? See? If you in this house, this is what we're going to do. You may talk about you may not want to do it. That's easy to take care of. You' go to get your own house. But for everything in this house, we're going to serve the Lord. See? There's things that would come into my house, and I would tell people right away, we, we don't do that. With my brother sometimes it was zealous, we don't cuss. So if you're going to be here, we don't cuss. Some of my family, they like to smoke. We don't smoke in our house. Now, if you want to go outside and smoke, and it's zero weather, go outside and smoke. See? In my house, we don't drink, so you didn't come in the house with a can of beer. See? And when Gus asked if he could bring his girlfriend home for us to meet, yes, but understand this, she's going to be in one room, and you're going to be where? Where? Because this house serves the Lord, it has different restrictions and standards than a house that is out here in the world. And what they're doing is following the law that they hold precious for Moses. Let me run on. He came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. Man cannot fulfill it. Now here's a little thing here. If you are totally, 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 totally obedient to the Holy Spirit, you can fulfill it. The problem is, is this. We're going to grieve the Holy Spirit and we're going to quench the Holy Spirit. And that's our fault. It's not that the ability has not been given to us and the example has been given to us. It's the weakness of our flesh not to always what? Obey the unction of the Holy Spirit. But he come to fulfill the law. Not to do away with it. If he did away with it, guess what? He wouldn't have to have been circumcised. If he... Did away with it, there had been no purification time. If he did away with it, he wouldn't have to be at the temple waiting for somebody to circumcise him. And then he came under the law that he himself could become what the law was to Israel. The law was a tutor. Catch this now. The law was a tutor or a guardian or a supervisor to bring men and women to Christ. Christ is the supervisor. Christ is now in a sense the law to do what? To bring us to the Father. For no man cometh to the Father unless he comes through who? Through me. The law was that which brought us to Christ. Christ is the one who's bringing us now to the Father. He becomes our guardian. He becomes the shepherd who watches over our soul. He becomes the one who guides us and instructs us and teach us. He becomes that one. And then, come on here, to do what the law could not do. The law could not give us life the law could not give us life we need to understand that. that he came to do and he's under the law to do what the law could not do but he fulfills the law he becomes in a sense the law on our behalf in order to fulfill it all for us and then boy He says, thanks be to God. And this is where you and I need to get to. Christmas is not so much about that present under the tree. Christmas is not about what I'm unwrapping in the box. Christmas is understanding. If you're born again, the gift that you have already received through Jesus Christ. If you. Thank you. Can you explain why Christ or why God loves you? Every one of us will most likely not give a gift to a stranger. We will not give a gift to a stranger. But we will give the gift to someone that we love, someone we care about. Not to a total stranger. But he gave his gift to us while we were yet sinners and not part of his household. And you and I cannot figure out even to this day why God loves me to save me. What is in you that is worthy of being saved? And Isaiah says, I'm nothing but a filthy rag. Only worthy really to be thrown out, not even to be used. But in some way, God loved you enough to send his only begotten son To die in your place. To bear your sins, not his sins. Your sins. To that place that was called cursed. That tree, that cross. And die for you. And we celebrate Christmas just about with a total absentee of Jesus Christ. Our excitement is more about our tree. Our excitement is more about our decoration. Our excitement is more about the gifts. Our excitement is more about everything else. But that perfect gift that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. We got to recapture. That wonder, that excitement about Christ in order to really celebrate this thing called Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for ministering to us. And I pray that somehow, Lord, we opened up a little bit more why Christ came in the flesh. Why Christ took on humanity.